So I want to open with a story of when I got took by a car salesman. Are there any car salesmen here today? I don't want to make you feel bad. But um, when I was 18 and went to college, I bought my first car, and it was a lemon. I mean, everything that could go wrong went wrong in that car. Leaving the, the day it left the lot, the alternator went out. And I had to replace it, and I went back and haggled with the dealership, and they split the cost halfway with me. And, and after that, it just kept having trouble. And so after less than a year with this car that just constantly had issues from the alternator to the, the motor mounts wearing out, and just the weirdest things, I was in the mood for something reliable. So I went down to, and I was living in Oklahoma, going to college down there at the Bible school at Ramah. And I showed up, and I was 19 or 20, and I had savings that I was going to use, and I was going to buy a different car. And I technically had bought one car before, but the one thing I did not understand was the different ploys that are commonly used at a car dealership. In Oklahoma, I'll give you the, the end result. In Oklahoma, where you know at, it's like 90 to 100 during the day and the sun is beating down, I ended up buying a car with no air conditioning. So I just, oh, it was a Hyundai Scoop. If any of you guys know what that is, that's a roller skate that you can ride in with a spoiler on the back that looks really cool. <clears throat> so if you remember... Uh, the old Ford Escorts that had the spoiler and the spoiler. This was the Hyundai version of that sized little bitty car. Two doors. Um, and it was low mileage. The guarantee was there. But it didn't even have air conditioning. didn't have that thing. I used to drive around with those little visors that you put up to block the sun. I would have that hanging out the window so that it would catch air and just blast the air through the car. And that, that salesman, he used everything on me, he had me going back and forth with his manager. He, he encouraged, oh, take the car. You don't have to buy it. Just take the car home with you tonight. It's not, you know, without even buying it. And you get emotionally indebted to this person who lets you drive a car home and off the lot and all kinds of stuff. I ended up buying the car. Felt bad. Later, as I would, through life, I would hear of the different strategies. And I'd be like, oh, he totally used that on me. Oh, he totally used that on me. Oh, I totally fell for that. So what I want to talk about today is similar to that situation. As life went along, I learned some of the little sales tricks that I had fallen prey to. See, sin has certain lies and tricks that it uses to entice us in. And so what I want to do today is I want to cover several of those tricks that, this, that sin uses to bring us in so that we don't end up falling for some of sin's lies. See, whether it's trying to, to sell you on a little white lie or a full-blown marital affair, sin uses similar strategies. Whether it's just hiding the truth or entering a life of crime similar strategies are used. John chapter 10 verse 10 says, the thief comes not, excuse me, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. 
But I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. So, we are going to expose some of the lies that sin tells. Lie number one that sin tells. No one will know. No one will know. Now, as a PK in a large church, I learned that one doesn't fly way early. There are so many people who knew who I was and I didn't know who they were. And my parents would hear about all the, how'd you do this and how'd you do that? And, you know, this weekend, my son went to hang out with one of his friends. I get a text. You know, hey, did you hear what happened at such and such a restaurant? I'm like, not yet. And I go to my son, I say, so what happened at that restaurant? He's like, what, how'd, how'd, you, how'd you know? I'm like, well, somebody there knew you, knew me, sent me a text. And believe me, it happens to my parents even more than it happens to me. But I realized the things that I do really aren't ever a secret. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. See, sin says, hey, you can do this and no one will know. But God says, I see it all. Numbers 32 verse 23 says, but if you, do not do, if you do not do so, then take note. You have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. It is a convenient lie that, the sin, that sin tells us that you won't know. No one else will find out. Matthew 10 verse 26 says, therefore do not fear them for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed Nothing hidden that will not be known. Now, the absolute truth of that comes true in the end, in the judgment. The Bible says that, that our lives will be <clears throat> weighed and certain things will be burnt up like chaff and that our good deeds, sincere deeds will, will survive and will be rewarded based on it. Everything will come to light eventually. But let me just tell you, so much of it will come to light even earlier than that. And when you have that thought, well, should I do it? No one will find out. That is the salesman of sin trying to get you somewhere you don't want. Excuse me. You don't want to be. Lie number two. A little bit will be okay. A little bit will be okay. John chapter 8. Verse 34 through 36, Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits a sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. When we sin, even a little, we are giving our freedom to sin. <coughs> Excuse me. The Bible says you are a slave to sin. You don't want to be there. Not even a little bit. A similar lie is what the, when sin says, 
Once is all I need. Once is all I need. Well, I know it's wrong, but I just want to try it once. Just once. Just just one time. Proverbs 26, 11 says, As a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. If we could talk to people who are currently addicted, how many of them would say, I thought I would do it just once. Someone convinced me to try it just once. If it's wrong multiple times, it's wrong once. And that lie, when we see that lie, when we hear that lie, when we, we recognize that's where our thought patterns are going is, oh, I'm just going to do it once. Red flags. This is the salesman of sin trying to get me somewhere I do not want to be. A very related lie that sin tells us is if I do it, my curiosity or desire will be diminished. I'll be satisfied. I'm really curious. I really want to, but if I try it, then I'll be satisfied. How many of you remember the, chi- the, 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 the commercial for Lay's potato chips that said, bet you can't just have one? Do you remember that, anybody? Bet you just can't, you can't just have one. Because, you know, those potato chips, they put like salt on there. And that salt makes you thirsty for more. It's like the, the, the ocean water. The more you drink, the thirstier you get. And it's, it's intentional. And sin has that same attribute. The more you try, the more you'll get. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 27 Verse 29 says, you also played the harlot with the Assyrians because you were insatiable. Indeed, you played the harlot with them and still you were not satisfied. Moreover, you multiplied your acts of harlotry as far as the land of the traitor, Chaldea. And even then, you were not satisfied. James chapter 1 verse 14 and 18 says... When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Verse 16 says, Do not be deceived, my brethren. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation of turning. Why does he say, do not be deceived? Because people will be deceived. People will think, well, maybe, maybe... Maybe it's not so bad. Maybe if I try this, just just once, I'll be satisfied. The very nature of sin is that that curiosity that you have when you give in. The slavery, as we read in that previous verse, the slavery of sin is that it hooks and it creates an appetite for itself. It creates an appetite for for itself. Lie number five. It's not a big deal. 
It's not a big deal. I mean, if I stole from someone who was going to miss it, that would be a big deal. But my company's got tons of staplers. They'll never know it's gone. Right? That justification of, well, this isn't a big deal. Here's what James chapter 2 verse 8 says. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convinced by the law as transgressors. Four, whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one part is guilty of all. For he who said do not commit adultery said do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. It's not a big deal. How many of you can, can picture a chain? If I had a big old chain up here and I put one strong person on this end and I put one strong person on this end and every single link was made of quarter inch steel. But then I put one link in the middle made of macaroni. <clears throat> and then I've got this chain that is solid. I mean, literally every link there could support the weight of your truck, except for that one. But if that one breaks, the chain broke, right? And that's what the Bible tells us about sin. It says, you break one part, it broke. See, <clears throat> that's where Jesus comes in handy, because... He says, everyone has fallen short. Everyone has broken a link. Everyone's chain is broken. And he comes and says, I'm the only one with an unbroken chain. Come, I'll trade. I'll take your sin. I'll give you my perfection. There is no minor deal. Verse six, or number six, similarly is, well, my sin compared to another is minor. Or at least I didn't do this other thing. I mean, it's like compared to robbing a bank, this is nothing. A little gossip, a little comment here or there, that's nothing. Luke chapter 18, verse 10, I think this is a really powerful verse. Jesus is talking and he says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisees, by the way, were the people who studied in the synagogues, studied the law. They were the, the religious elite. The tax collectors were the known cheaters. They made their living off overcharging people. The Pharisee stood and prayed Thus with himself. It doesn't even say he was praying to God. He says, prayed thus with himself. Oh God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. But the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and then Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. Another verse says forgiven. 
rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, Jesus said, when this man was trying to compare himself to others, that did not do anything at all to justify him before God. He said, in fact, it was the opposite. The man who came humbly and didn't compare He is the one, even though his sin was greater. I mean, if we were looking at the magnitude of the sins, we would have said, well, you know, this guy makes a living off of cheating people. This other guy, well, he follows all the rules. He's just prideful and, you know, we can't even tell what sin he was in. God says, no, it was the the humble man who wasn't comparing himself. It was the man who, instead of comparing himself to others, just said, God, I know I'm, I'm wrong. Number seven. Now, this one doesn't work on everybody, but I've seen it way too many times, and it's this. God understands I need slash deserve to do this. God understands I need slash deserve to do this. Many, many, many years ago, many years ago, there was a guest speaker who came here anointed. Oh, my goodness. There was an anointing on this man's lives. He prayed for people. Sick people were healed. Um, Miracles were happening. It was amazing. He got it in his head that God used him so much that God wanted him to have a better wife. That he had earned, deserved the right to leave his wife for a more attractive model. How? How did sin convince He hasn't been back, by the way. (laughs) We didn't invite him back. But my point is this. Sin will try to tell you that that you, you have a special, special endorsement. Look, God is still blessing this part of your life. That must mean that he's okay with the sin. Over here. But that's not the case. Galatians chapter 2 verse 6 through 7 says. But from those who seemed to be something. Whatever they were. It makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. Let's read that verse again. But from those who seemed to be something. Whatever they were. It makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. You see, sin is sin. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. And that's it. Sin will tell you, oh, it's okay. If, if God is still using you over here, then, then he doesn't care about those lies, that sin, what you're looking at. On your screen. No. Don't confuse grace for permission. 
he says, no, I don't have personal favorites. The pastor doesn't get to sin more than you do. You don't get to sin more than than your neighbor. There's nothing personal favoritism that God is giving people permission to just go out and sin. Line number eight. I'll just make up for this sin by doing extra good in a different area of my life. You know, if I do this, well, I'll just give extra in the offering. Or I'll volunteer extra hours down at the homeless shelter or in the children's church or in the nursery. And we want you to volunteer in the nursery and the children's church and all that. All for it. But not to purchase sin license. This, I don't know if I want to go there, this became a doctrine in some churches where they would literally sell people in Georgia. You want to sin? Here. Give this much to the church and you can go out and do that. But that's not biblical at all. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. See, God says, it's not because of what you've done. You can't do enough to cancel sin. The only person who can cancel sin is Jesus. And he did it for you. In in 1 Samuel chapter 15, we have the story of King Saul. Saul thought he could disobey God and then bring God a bonus offering and be off the hook. See, God told Saul through the prophet Samuel, he said... This is what I want you to do. Go to this place. Don't take any of the cattle. Don't take any of the riches. That city is to be destroyed as an offering to me. Don't take from it. The next city, you'll be able to get cattle and, and do all that. Don't. Saul disobeyed. He spared the king of that city's life because... He wanted to. He kept certain cattle. And Samuel went to Saul and said, what is this that I hear? And Saul starts making excuses and he says, oh, well, I disobeyed, but I did it so that I could make a sacrifice to God. It's like, well, I stole the money, but I did it so I could put it in the offering. Does that make it okay? And Samuel says something profound. In verse 22, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Samuel says to him, wait a minute. Do you think God wants your offerings of sacrifices more than he just wants an obedient heart from you? And then he says, wait, obedience is better 
than sacrifice. And then in verse 23, he says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness as, is as the iniquity of adultery. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. That cost Saul dearly. Lie number nine. The end justifies the means. Well, if I lie on my income taxes, I can give more to the streetlight and to the church. Psalms chapter 15 verse 4. It says, he, But he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. God says, when you are honest, even at a cost to you, I will bless that. If you make a promise and later discover that that promise is going to cost you big time and you keep that promise, I bless that. This whole thing, oops, um, I wouldn't have made that promise if I realized what was going to happen. So I'm going to change that because... Obviously, if it's going to lead down this way, I don't want to do that. God says, no, no, I honor those who will swear even to their own hurt. That won't change their, go back on their promise when they realize it's going to cost them something. It says, he who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Lie number 10. You need to do this to understand it. I have heard this a surprising number of times. Where people say, well, you know, you, you, you just, I'm going to go and I'm going to experience a little bit of that lifestyle so that I can understand, so that I can reach those people for God. I mean, they need, they need to, to know that I'm not a stick in the mud. If I don't participate at least a little bit in that sinful lifestyle, well, then they won't know that I understand their situation and, and my wit. No. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Somebody suggested to Paul, Well, if, if God's forgiven me, well, then why don't I just go and sin? I mean, what a great place to evangelize from, right in the middle of it all. And he says, certainly not. How shall we who have died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. The Living Bible Translation reads the same section. It says, well then, shall we just keep on sinning so that God can keep on showing us more and more kindness and forgiveness? <laughs> of course not. Should we keep on sinning when we don't have to? For sin's power over us is broken when we became Christians and were baptized to become part of Jesus Christ. Through his death, the power of your sinful nature was shattered. What happened to the power of your sinful nature? It was shattered through his death. Your old sin-loving nature was buried with him by baptism when he died. 
And when God the Father, with glorious power, brought him back to life again, you were given his wonderful new life to enjoy. I love the way that translation puts it. Line number 12. It will be easy to stop, so why not later? It'll be easy to stop, so why not later? Or, I can stop anytime. I don't want to make anybody feel bad, so don't raise your hand. But have you ever talked to a smoker who's like, well, I can stop anytime? You're like, well, then why not stop killing yourself today? Because it's habit forming. The Bible says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. When we see something in our lives, this verse shows us that if we don't deal with it today, before the sun goes down, we are giving the devil a place. He says, be angry, but don't sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place to the devil. He said, let him who steals, stole, steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. I'm going to go to the, the living Bible again. Verse 26, if you are angry, do not sin by nursing your grudge. Don't let the sun go down with you still angry. Get over it quickly. For when you are angry, you give a mighty foothold to the devil. Verse 30 in the New Living Trans Bible says, Don't cause the Holy Spirit sorrow by the way that you live. Remember, he is the one who marks you present on the day when salvation from sin will be complete. See, we are no longer sin slave. The Bible just said in that verse we read before that that power of the sin nature was shattered by God. The reason that we avoid sin as a Christian isn't for fear of hell. But verse 30 says it clearly. It says, do not cause the Holy Spirit sorrow by the way that you live. I have a question. How many of you are married? If, and I'm just as entirely hypothetical, but if you discovered that your spouse loves you so deeply, so unconditionally, that even if you had an affair, they would forgive you and continue to love you, does that make you want to go out and have an affair? No. No, it doesn't. In fact, to any healthy relationship, any healthy person will respond to that kind of unconditional love by saying, I am even less interested in testing your love when I realize how powerful and unconditional it is. My realization that even an affair would not turn you away doesn't make me want an affair. It makes me want you. See, that's what Jesus gives and offers to us. He says, Wait, what? 
you want to go sin. Someone says, let's go sin because God will forgive us. And you, no, you don't get it. He loves you so much that when you understand that, you won't want to go sin. You'll say, wow, you love me so much that even if and when I blow it, it does not change your mind about me. I want to please you. I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit with the way that I live. As a Christian, we aren't avoiding sin for fire insurance. We're avoiding sin as an expression of gratitude to God who has forgiven us. Who the Bible says, while we were still sinners, died for us. When we realize he wanted us when we were at our worst, that makes us want to become our best. When we have a proper perspective of what forgiveness is like, it doesn't make sin attractive. It does quite the opposite. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 24 says, By faith Moses, when he came to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the afflictions with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Realizing when we have a proper perspective, we realize, you know what? The best that sin has to offer is a very temporary pleasure. It's temporary. James 1.14, I read this once already. It says, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth, gives for, or brings forth death. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 17. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth will be filled with gravel. What it's saying is, yes, sin can taste good for a moment. It is sweet, but later it turns to gravel. Ill-gotten treasures are of no value, Proverbs 10, 2. But righteousness delivers from death. Proverbs eleven eighteen says, The wicked man earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. I want to wrap up our list here with Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 through 10. It says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. It says, don't be deceived. It is, it is a mockery of God to believe that our actions have no consequences. He says, if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap Eternal life. And verse 9 says, And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season... Does it say immediately? It says, Do not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. To those of us who have already accepted 
the forgiveness of our sins. I'm here to tell you, your sins are forgiven. Your name is in the Lamb's book of life. I'm not here to tell you, you can't, you can't slip up or you're going back to hell. That's not what the scriptures tell us. But see, we have something even better to look forward to. When we understand what God has given us with forgiveness, we won't be attracted to the temporary pleasures of sin. It says, do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season you will reap if you do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are in the household of faith. Second Thessalonians 3.13 says, But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. That's my encouragement to everyone here. Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't buy any of the lies that sin is telling, is selling. You don't want that car with no air conditioning. It's a better illustration than I thought. 1 Peter chapter 2, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Deuteronomy 30, 19 says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. We know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has broken at least one link in the chain of living a perfect, perfect life. Most of us have, have broken countless links. I can't count. But the Bible says that we have been forgiven. That Jesus came to take away the sin of the world. The Bible says in John 1, 29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Romans chapter 7, 21 through 4, it says, So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. 